Welcome to Mending Nets and Fishing for Saints podcast. Today we'll be reading a couple stories out of Voice of Martyr magazine. If you would like your own copy of the Voice of Martyr magazine, you can visit vom.org. Journey to the DRC As frontline workers traveled across the Democratic Republic of the Congo, DRC, for a first-time meeting with persecuted Christians, their small plane flew over several volcanoes, the Renzori Mountains, the vast Ituri Forest, and three different armed conflicts. The pilot pointed out the window to indicate where the various rebel groups were active, areas they would want to avoid if an emergency landing became necessary. More than 91% of Congolese identify as Christians, including 19% evangelical, but the country is also home to more than 100 active armed groups, according to the UN. While many of the armed groups are motivated by tribal, ethnic, or political concerns, the Allied Democratic Forces have specifically targeted Christians. Having originally formed in the mid-1990s to wage an insurgency against the Ugandan government, The ADF's defeat there prompted a shift in focus to the Eastern DRC, where the group now seeks to eradicate Christianity and establish an Islamist caliphate. And after the ADF allied itself with the self-proclaimed Islamic State, ISIS, in 2018, its attacks against Christians intensified. When the Christian workers landed near the edge of the Ituri forest, they drove north to the town of Ochi, where ADF attacks against Christians are not uncommon. A group of 12 pastors had gathered to tell the frontline workers about the violent persecution that Christians in the area are experiencing at the hands of Islamists. One pastor had witnessed the murder of another pastor at the entrance of his church. Another pastor reported that only 11 churches remain of the 54 in his denomination that existed in the area prior to the conflict. He said many of the church buildings were completely destroyed. Similarly, a pastor from a different denomination said their churches had been reduced from 25 a few years ago to just 8 today, and 6 pastors from those churches had been killed. ADF is saying that if we want the war to end, everyone should become Muslim, one of the pastors said. If you want the killings to stop, everyone should confess Islam. The frontline leaders also met with several Christians who had been abducted by the ADF, including a Christian woman named Grace, who was forced to witness horrific acts of violence against her family. Grace and her sister-in-law were returning home from fetching water when they saw members of the ADF approaching. The women screamed, dropping their jerry cans filled with water and ran, but Grace fell and the ADF caught her. As they beat her with the butt of their guns, she pleaded for mercy. Please don't kill me, she said. I have a baby. The gunman then told her to take them to her child. Grace led them to her home, where eight relatives, including her infant daughter, were staying. When the rebels ordered everyone out of the house, Grace, who was weak from the beatings, struggled to carry her baby. Once outside, the Islamists tied up seven of Grace's relatives and beheaded them with machetes. 
In a further act of barbarity, they put her family members' severed heads in boiling water before setting the house on fire and leaving with Grace and her child. Grace was held captive for several days and moved from one ADF camp to another, where she witnessed more atrocities. Eventually, the Islamists released all of the women with babies and Grace returned to her mother's house after days of wandering through the bush. Grace had been released just a week before we met her, a frontline worker said. Her story was similar to many others we heard. Others who have been abducted shared about people being asked if they were Christians while at the rebel camps. Those who confessed Christ were most often killed. A Christian man named John Louise said that after he was abducted by the ADF, a rebel unashamedly boasted about their plan of action. We know we are killing Christians, the Islamists said. We won't stop until everyone is a Muslim or dead. Thousands of Christians like Grace and Jean-Louis have been displaced from their homes in Oitcha and many are now living in temporary shelters. Believers who rely on farming for their food and income must make the difficult choice between remaining in town or returning to their farms where they are more likely to be abused, abducted, or killed. Attacks occasionally occur even in town so the displaced Christians in Oitcha know the ADF could attack again at any time. After several days in Oitcha, the frontline workers took a short flight north to the village of Boga, located within an area locally referred to as the Death Triangle because of its history of violence ADF activity. The Christian workers approached the village. The pilot was hesitant to land in Boga. The airstrip had not been used for more than a year and had only recently been made more secure by the Ugandan military. But with the Ugandan commander's approval, the pilot began the first of three flyovers to ensure that the dirt runway was clear for landing. Once on the ground, the workers drove to a church in the center of town to meet a small group of pastors and community leaders. Within 20 minutes, however, more than 100 people had gathered at the church to share their stories with the visiting Christians. Due to security concerns, the frontline workers were limited to two hours on the ground. As in Oitja, most church buildings in Boga have been destroyed. Many residents fled the village when the ADF attacks began and had just begun returning three months prior to the frontline workers' visit. Boga ran into many troubles, a local pastor said. There are no churches. All of them have been closed. Many people were killed by the rebels and others were taken. Today we still don't know where they are. Others have gone to Uganda and some are still running. One Christian taken by the ADF, a man named Matendo, was working in his field in 2021 when rebels abducted him and six others. When the rebels questioned Matendo and the others, they told their abductors that they were Christians who serve in the church. Do you know what our purpose is? One of the Islamists asked. Our purpose is that everyone becomes Muslim. If you don't agree, you will lose your life. True to their word, the rebels killed one of the Christians, a man named Said, and threw the others into a deep hole. Matendo eventually managed to escape, but he recalls few details because of a head injury he suffered in the attack. When the visiting frontline workers asked those who had gathered at the church how many of them had lost family members in ADF attacks since 2019, nearly everyone raised their hands. Christians in the DRC have remained faithful in prayer while suffering recurring Islamist attacks. 
woman who was abducted took the opportunity to share the gospel with a rebel who had noticed her praying. He got really upset and asked what I was doing, the woman said. I said, I am praying peace for you. After that, God saved me. Her captors released her and her children a few days later. Matendo also relied on the power of prayer as the Islamists demanded that he renounce his Christian faith. The ADF told us they didn't want to hear about Christians, he said. They wanted all the Christians to turn and become Muslims. It was good for us to continue praying so that we as Christians could continue to have peace. So God helped us. I'm here because of the help he has given to me. Although the believers in Oicha and Boga have experienced great suffering, they repeatedly asked frontline workers for one thing, prayer. We are very thankful that you have come, a Christian in Boga said. We have suffered a lot. We see you are a people of prayer. Pray more. And a pastor in Oicha emphasized the same need. What we need from you is prayer, he said. Pray for us. My hope as a pastor is that these killings do not affect the faith of my church members. When you go back home, please don't forget to pray for us. In the Lion's Den When a group of pastors met with frontline workers in Pemba, Mozambique, their grief was palpable as they recalled the suffering they had experienced at the hands of Islamic insurgents. While Mozambique is a majority Christian country, the northern provinces are predominantly Muslim, and one of these provinces, Cabo Delgado, has endured a violent insurgency that began in 2016 and intensified in 2019 after the insurgents pledged allegiance to the self-proclaimed Islamic State ISIS. The Islamists attacked villages and overran entire towns, including the homes of the pastors who met with frontline workers in Pemba. Over time, the Islamists gained control over most of Cabo Delgado. The insurgents are part of a group called Al-Sanai Wajama, which translates roughly as adherents of the prophetic tradition. Local residents and officials commonly refer to the group as El-Shabaab, meaning the youth, because many of the attackers are young. They have no known connection to the terrorist group of the same name in Somalia. While many Muslim residents have been affected by the violence in Cabo Delgado, the extremists have specifically targeted Christians. One pastor said they gathered everyone in the middle of his village and asked them about their religious beliefs. The Islamists decapitated those who said they were Christians and then burned every home and church in the village. A pastor from Musimbo da Praia recalled how the Islamists had surrounded the city, trapping everyone inside, and then began killing indiscriminately. Those who tried to flee by car were burned alive in their vehicles. We felt like chickens going into a lion's den, the pastor said. I saw mountains of dead bodies everywhere. The pastor was separated from his family during an Islamist attack, and he hasn't seen his two children ages four and seven since. He doesn't know if they survived the attack. 
When he returned to the village to look for his children, he saw many decapitated and dismembered bodies. His church building had been destroyed. As each pastor told stories of suffering from his church and village, the other pastors at the table bowed their heads and began to pray. Then, one of the pastors began to sing. As the others joined in, their time of shared sorrow was transformed into a time of worship, reflecting the pastor's hope in Christ. Amid their suffering, the pastors have seen God at work. Because of all that's happened, said one of the pastors, the people fled here to one place where they can hear the word of God. When we go back, we will see many, many, many new churches being planted. So many Muslims are saying, we want to follow Jesus because only Christians have brought love. Another pastor said, the sharing of the gospel just doesn't have any difficulty now. When people do evil, it actually helps us remember we are different. God has called us to be different, and it is an opportunity to set ourselves apart. As they finished their time together, a frontline worker asked the pastors one last question. Do you think more people will go to heaven as a result of these attacks? Pastors responded unanimously with a resounding yes. Do God's Work at Midnight by Richard Wormbrandt. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Matthew 25 and 6. The earth turns on its axis. Midnight is the moment when a part of the earth is the furthest away from the sun. Spiritual midnight is the period of the greatest departure of men from God. We are approaching this midnight. The children of God do not receive midnight with the same feeling as the world. At midnight, the firstborn of the Egyptians died, but the chosen people got their freedom. The Lord has said, Night is coming where no one can work. John 9 and 4. But as often as a thing is declared impossible in the Bible, this does not refer to the faithful. About them, Jesus declared all things are possible for one who believes, Mark 9 and 23. God's people can work near midnight. It was at midnight that Samson took the gates of the city of Gaza, Judges 16 and 3. At midnight, Ruth received from Boaz the promise, I will do all for you that you have asked, Ruth 3 verses 8 through 11. At midnight, Paul and Silas won for the Lord, the jailer of Philippi, Acts 16 and 25. At midnight, God's people have achieved great works. Therefore, the psalmist says, at midnight, I will rise and praise you. Psalms 119 and 62. We're not afraid of the darkness in this world. We work. The bridegroom comes soon. We cannot meet him empty-handed. We met with a member of the underground church from the Soviet Union who told us about secret meetings with an attendance of 100 to 200 people. A traitor had informed communist police of a secret baptism. The pastor was already in the river when police arrived. 
Seeing the communists, the pastor ordered those awaiting baptism to quickly get into the water. Then the pastor told the police, we will come out only after they are baptized. The newly baptized Christians were arrested and the pastor was sentenced to five years in prison. The brother we met with helped establish underground printing presses which produced New Testaments. We asked how he gets the paper, ink, and glycerin for printing as buying great quantities would surely attract attention. He replied, there are brethren who work in paper mills and in chemical factories. The communists have stolen everything from everybody. It is the people's property. We represent the people. We take back what has been stolen from us. The communist broke the ribs of a general who placed his faith in Jesus Christ. He now goes from village to village witnessing for Christ. Arrests are useless because jailed Christians convert their fellow prisoners and baptize them in jail. The miraculous story of the Acts of the Apostles continues. We don't care that midnight is approaching. Only ordinary men cannot work during a spiritual night, but all things are possible for those who believe. He can work even when he is personally passing through the dark night of the soul, even when he is on his deathbed. It is near midnight. Darkness confuses. We have to meet the bridegroom. We still have time to work. Richard Wormbrand, who lived from 1909 to 2001, was imprisoned in communist Romania for his faith in Christ. Following his imprisonment, he and his wife Sabina, from 1913 to 2000, sought ways to serve persecuted Christians and in 1967 started a global ministry known today as the Voice of the Martyrs. You can read Richard's story in Wormbrand, Tortured for Christ, the complete story available at torturedforchrist.com. Thank you for listening to Mending Nets and Fishing for Saints podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, would you share it with a friend, a family member, Share it with somebody you really love and let's spread the gospel of Jesus Christ together. I thank you for listening and until next time, God bless you.